This is a story of a man and a woman who lived in a beautiful garden. It's a story of a snake who tricked mankind for thousands of years. It's a story of God and his promises. It's the story of one who's coming back to crush the head of the snake. And to give us that home we once had, might have forgotten, lost. Biggest story. Well, let me also wish you a, a happy new year. It's uh, good to be with you and also with uh, all of our campuses. We're live today and as well as those who are joining us online. This uh, Christmas, past Christmas Eve, I got a chance to go and be with our Edina campus and speak to them at the 10 o'clock service. And that was a wonderful experience to be there as well. But I tell you what, I am so ready for a new year to begin. How about you? The, um, the end of 22 did not end well for the, the Hummel uh, family. We got up Christmas morning to take a flight out to see our kids uh, in North Carolina and got the airport. We got up like at 3.30 in the morning and got the airport and found out it was canceled. And uh, it was canceled Monday and it was canceled uh, Tuesday. Actually, I did get out Tuesday. Marsha finally got out Wednesday. Finally made it to our kids, and on the way, Marsh and I gave each other colds for Christmas. <laughs> and uh, then we finally got there, and I got a chance to play basketball with my, my junior high grandsons. And uh, as we were playing and having a vigorous, wonderful time, my eye happened to be in the wrong place. And my son, uh, one of my grandsons, kind of put his finger in my eye. And uh, I know he's watching right now, but it's mostly recovered. LAUGHTER uh, and then I jammed my finger on the ball, and I just thought, I hope I make it back for the new year. <laughs> so uh, we had a great time uh, with them, and they're, they're watching today. But uh, I, am, I really am glad to start a brand new year with you and uh, all of our campuses. And uh, I want to thank Crossway for letting us use their artwork and that little bumper video that you saw for this series. And, and the series we're actually beginning today is going to last all the way through into July. And it comprises four different seasons, kind of like we do with the Gospel of John, but this is a little bit different. And uh, we're going to be looking uh, in several of the seasons at just the first chapters of Genesis. Then we're going to be spending time in the book of Romans... And then we're going to end in part of the book of Revelation. So I think you're going to find a fascinating series. And we're going to be talking about God's big story. God's big story. And how you and I fit into that story. And what it means for you and what it means for me. We're going to take a little break around February and do a, a one-off series. And then around Easter as well. But just kind of giving you a sense of what's ahead. And I really hope you'll get a flavor of it in this introductory message uh, this morning. And I hope you'll invite friends and family to join us. I think you're going to find it uh, very helpful. In fact, I have some promises that I'll share with you later on that I want to make you uh, with regards to this, this series. And uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to start by asking you a, a question. And that is, if somebody walked up to you and, and asked you to give them proof of your ID, uh, your identification, 
what would you offer them? I'm going to guess that many of us would just pull out our wallet and say, here's my driver's license. That's proof of my ID, match a picture to my face. Or maybe if you had your passport with you, you'd pull out your passport and say, here's, you know, here's, here's my ID. And I guess if it was a serious enough situation, you might get an expert involved and pull up your fingerprints and have them verify that it was you or maybe even go so far as your DNA and, and assure them that it's you. Most of us uh, can prove our identity. But I want to ask you a second question. And the second question that I want to ask you online or at campuses here at Eden Prairie is, can you prove your existence? Can you prove why you exist? Now, some of you right away are thinking to yourself, well, that's not hard to do. I just introduce you to my parents, and that, that will answer the question of why I exist. And that's not, that's not really what I'm, I'm talking about. What, what I'm pressing you is, do you, do you know why you exist? Do you know why the universe exists? Why we're all here? And I, I'm not necessarily referring to this period of time between when you're born and when you die, okay? Because, you know, one can come up with a sense of purpose in that in-between time, right? You could say, well, my purpose was to make money. My purpose was to bless others. My purpose was to teach. My purpose was to discover. I mean, you can come up with all kinds of things, right? What I'm talking about is this time right here. I'm talking about before you were born and after you die. Do you know why you exist? Do you know why you were in the mind of God before this happened, if you believe in God? And do you know why you will exist beyond death? That's a really important question. And in some ways, it's also kind of a hard question to answer. John Lennox is a brilliant mathematician, scientist, and follower of Jesus. And he uses this illustration of a fictitious Aunt Matilda. I don't know why he chose that, but that's what he uses. And he says, imagine that Aunt Matilda bakes this beautiful cake. And she invites in a bunch of Nobel Prize winning scientists to explain to her what the cake is. And so there's, you know, the best in biology, the best in chemistry, the best in physics, the best in mathematics, and, you know, all kinds of other disciplines. And they, they just take all their instruments out, all their knowledge, and they examine every crumb of the cake. And then when Aunt Matilda comes back into the room, they begin explaining to her from science and from tests and from laboratory what the ingredients were, how they worked together, how they created the taste, and on and on and on and on they go. And finally, they finish. And Aunt Matilda has a big smile on her face, and she says, good job, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. You did a great job explaining the cake to me. But now I have another question for you. And with a smile on, she fa on her face, she asks, but do you know why I made the cake? And as smart as they all are, not one of them can tell her why she made the cake. Because only she, the one who made that cake, knows why she did it. The same thing is true 
when we think about creation, when we think about your existence and my existence, the existence of the universe, you know, science can explain a lot of things. We can analyze a lot. We can say a lot about it. But do you know that science cannot tell us why it's all here? And why you're here and why I'm here and what our purpose is. And I don't know about you, but I want to know why. How about, how about you? I want to know why I exist. I want to know why this universe exists, what it's all about. See, the, the Christian message is that there's no, there's no such thing as an accident. This universe is not an accident. Big Bang, something had to set the Big Bang off if that's where you want to go. If you believe, as you say in England, in evolution or evolution, you know, who started the whole thing? And the Christian message is, is that there is an eternal God who did. And the Christian message is none of us are here by accident. Even if your mom and dad said you were an accident, <laughs> You're not an accident. God foreknew you before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. You were in his mind. Why were you in his mind? What's his purpose for you and his purpose for me? I, I just love thinking about that. Because you know what? That makes each person here our campuses and online, that makes you so unique and so very special. So I want to make four promises to you that I think you're going to realize, hopefully by July, if not sooner. And here they are. Here's the first promise. I promise you, if you stay with me throughout the series, that you're going to not only know and discover why you exist, but you're also going to know why this whole universe exists. And Think about all the brilliant scientists that have been trying to figure that out. You're going to know. Number two, I promise you that when this series is finished, you will be able to diagnose what's wrong with the world and know how it can be healed, how it, what the solution, what the answer is. Number three, I promise you that you will have a confident sense of what your future holds, your personal future holds, and how you can be prepared for it. And then last but not least, I promise you that your confidence in the validity of God's word, the Bible, will go up and help you overcome every argument against the truth. <clears throat> now, when I put all those things down, I thought to myself, well, Whitdale is, is, is such an intelligent congregation. And many of you are going to, are, are, you know, are gonna, can we leave the promises up just a couple minutes? Many of you are going to... Uh, Read those promises, and uh, you're going to think to yourself, well, I'm already convinced. Can we put the promises up or not? I don't know. Maybe we can't. Uh, you're going to be convinced of those promises already. You can say, well, I don't, I don't need you to prove that to me. I, I already kind of know that already. And my response to that is, I'm not arguing with you, but my response to that is, if you and I already believe those promises, why is it we lack such peace in our lives? Why is it we become so troubled by this world? Why is it we get discouraged? Why is it we get so uptight 
Why is it that we are not the happiest, the most joyful, the most peaceful people in all of the world? And that's because we can say we agree with those promises, but I'm not necessarily sure we really believe those promises, at least the depth that it stabilizes our lives and gives us what the Bible calls that peace that passes all understanding. So my hope for you is that through this series, by by the time we get to July, you're going to be some of the happiest people on earth. You're going to be filled with such confidence, such courage, such peace, that no matter what happens in your personal life, that no matter what happens in our world, you're not going to be shaken by it. Because you know who you are, you know why you exist, you know why this universe is here, you know what's wrong and how it can be solved, you know where you're going and what it's going to be like, and no matter what anybody else says, you have rock-solid confidence in this Bible. Amen? Now, I don't know if you have a a Bible like this one that's bound by paper or you have an electronic version of the Bible, but um, I hope you'll bring your Bible in whatever way you have it because because I really want to interact with it with you uh, throughout the series. And we're going to begin by looking at a couple of passages of Scripture for this morning that we're going to come back to several times. And I I want us to uh, just hear them. Uh, together, so I'm going to read them for you. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. Uh, first book in the Bible, verse 1. So if you're joining us at our campuses online, help us out. Turn open, have your Bible open. Don't become uh, screen dependent for your scriptures, all right? Here we go. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. We go down to the next passage here, and we read in John's Gospel. Sounds like a commentary in Genesis. He says, in the beginning, this is John chapter 1, in the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, it says in verse 10, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So if you have your Bibles, just just hang on to them for a moment. Hold them for a moment if you don't mind, or even if you have it on your phone. But don't take any phone calls right now. But if you have your Bible with you, I, I do. I'd like you to just kind of grab it for a moment in whatever format you have. And I want to make a statement that, again, many of you will agree, but, but some I'm finding these days are wondering and others don't believe. But I, I want you to know that this, this book is not a compendium of fables and legends like Aesop's fables. You know that, right? And I want you to know that this book is not, is not simply filled with a bunch of self-help 
proverbs and teachings and principles that you can use to get through the day and help solve your problems. And I want you to know that this book is not a book of rules of do's and don'ts. This book that you hold in your hand, in whatever form you have right now, this is, this is God's story. It is his story. It is, listen, it is not about you. It is about him. And it's a big story. And it has an overarching theme that we're going to be looking at. It explains everything about you and about the universe and about everything else. So if you want to write a principle down, what God is saying to us, the passages that we just read, is that it's his story and no one else's. But here's the beautiful part. But he's included you and me in it. He's included you and me in it. You and I have a primary part in his story. The first play I was ever in was in fifth grade. It was in fifth grade. It was Macbeth. And guess who Macbeth was? Me. All right? Now, you would think that Macbeth would be the star of the play named after him, right? But for some reason in this play, I only had one line. It was two words. It was a question. By whom? That was it. So it was kind of a tricky thing. Then I never got to play the part because I ended up getting um, chicken box. <laughs> Although I say you'd see me on the screen probably in Hollywood. <laughs> By whom? That was it. That was my part. Not much of a part for a play named after you. And a lot of times, you know, when we think about our lives and we think about this grand world that we live in, we just think to ourselves, I play such an insignificant part. I mean, who cares about me? Who knows about me? I'm little, if nothing at all. Now, that's your perspective, and maybe that's the perspective the world gives because the world's all about celebrities, right, and power and fame. But I'm here to tell you that in God's perspective, you have a huge part in his story. And though the story is not about you, it's about him, it is about how much he loves you. I want you to imagine for a moment that, that you're in a room with hundreds of people. And at the front of the room is the most important person in the world, whoever that is, most powerful most rich, smartest. I mean, like they are the most important person in the world. And you're wondering how you even got into the room. You don't know them. I mean, excuse me, they don't know you, but you know who they are, but you don't know them in the sense of having a relationship with them. And all of a sudden, there's a tapping on the microphone. May I have your attention, please? And everybody quiets down. And that person, whoever she is or whoever he is, calls out your name. At first, you look around to see who that is until you realize they just called your name. And they say, come up here. And you wonder to yourself, what have I done wrong? I'm being called out of this group. 
I don't even know how I got in this group. I just showed up in this room, and this most important person in the world is calling my name. And when you get up there, they look at you, and they say, I have been looking for you forever. It's so good to see you. Let's get out of here and spend the day together and have some fun. You'd be shocked, wouldn't you? Be like, who am I that you want to spend the day with me? I know who you are, but you don't know who I am. And they say, I've been looking for you my whole life. You'd be absolutely amazed. That's just a small little kind of way of saying that's how God feels about you. He knows you and me. He He knows us individually. And he's called us into his grand story. And he says, I really want you to get to know me. I want to get to know you. I I have a purpose for your life. You're significant. You're valuable. You're precious to me. And this is my story of the length I have gone to to bring you into relationship with myself. Now, I just, I need you for a moment to just soak that in. And as you do, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that story I just told you? Do you believe that that is true? Do you honestly believe that you are significant to God? At Loring Park or Eddie Diner or wherever you're watching us right now, do you believe that you are that significant to God? Most of us don't. Because if we did, we'd be, we'd be so different than we normally are. Am I right? Our kids would be so different. The church would be so different. What we do is we believe the lies about, uh, of the world that it tells us about us, but we won't believe what God thinks about us, what God says about us. There is a God, and he loves you incredibly. Now, the passages that we read tell us the second thing about God, all right? The second thing is this, that God has always been. Kind of alluded to that already. God says, this is my story. It's my story about my love for you. And by the way, I want you to know that I have always been. Not some power out there with no personality and meaning. The God of the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct personalities, one divine essence. It's pretty deep for the beginning of the year, isn't it? Those of you who went to bed at 3 o'clock, you may be, I may be losing you right now. <laughs> but listen carefully. The living, knowing, loving God has always been. Now get this. I, can't, I can only say it, I can't explain it. And you have always been in his mind. So in that sense, please just don't misquote me uh, uh, as I'll be on the front papers of some social website as a heretic, all right? But in that sense, because you've always been in his mind, you have always been. And then in Genesis, you came into being. Isn't that wild? I mean, if you came in here not thinking very good about yourself (laughs) and feeling like poor me, the only way you're going to leave that way 
from our campuses today, from wherever you're watching me right now, is because you choose not to accept how God thinks about you. Instead, you're choosing to believe the lies that people told, told about you or the lies the culture says about you, and you believe those things. So it is God who has always been that created everything. And, and did you know, did you realize that, that creation is one of the greatest proofs that God exists? And I'm not talking about just the, you know, the design of creation, the uniqueness of creation, the, um, the, the perfection of creation. That, that's, that's all, yes, very much evidence uh, of God's existence. But, but I'm, talking about, I'm talking about purpose in creation. The fact that there is purpose in our lives, purpose to our lives, speaks of God's presence. And, and here's... Here's an aha moment, and I hope there's going to be a lot of aha moments for you during this series, all right? You know, a lot of times when you hear preachers preach, people say amen, right? We don't hear that much uh, here in the frozen chosen north, but in some parts of the culture, you'll hear that. I like it, actually, okay? I grew up on it, okay? I've got weaned off it, but I'd love to be reintroduced to it. So uh, instead of those saying amen throughout this series, when, you have, when God just touches you with a moment, I want, you to, I want you to feel free to say aha. So let's try aha once. One, two, three. Aha. aha. So anytime you want to do an aha because God just spoke to you, it's okay. And if you prefer to whisper it, that's okay too. Aha. All right. But here's an aha moment. And listen carefully. The aha moment came from, from an atheist. Jean-Paul Sartre, who you know, lived a long time ago, an existentialist atheist, did not believe in God. But there's one thing I appreciate about him, and he had, by the way, a huge influence in our, where our culture is today. But there's one thing I appreciate about him, he was intellectually honest. And in essence, what he said was this. He said, if there is purpose to life, God must exist. And then he uses a a crazy illustration that my mentor, uh, who doesn't know he's my mentor, Tim Keller, talks about. He says, uh, take a a paper opener, all right? These used to be called paper knives, all right? For some of you, this is something new you've never seen before, all right? Because now everything's email, all right? But this is a paper opener. He says, someone invented the paper opener, the paper knife. And the purpose of the paper knife is to Go to envelopes such as this one, all right? You stick it in. They're really pretty nifty. My dad still uses one, right? I just love that, right? It just opens up, and you can pull out the check the government has sent you, whatever, okay? Your IRS, whatever is coming back, your return, and, and there it is, okay? That's what a paper knife is for. It has a purpose. It has a purpose. It's like Aunt Matilda's cake. Remember I told you that story earlier? Aunt Matilda has a reason why she made that cake, all right? This was invented by a person, and the reason why they made this is because they wanted to open envelopes with it. If I take this, as Sartre says, and I use it to try to carve marble, what's going to happen? It's going to break. It's not going to work. It was never meant to carve marble. So what we can say is that whoever invented this invented it for a good purpose, It could be used for bad purposes, like try to carve marble or I suppose to stab somebody, but it but you know it has a good purpose. What Sark goes on, and I've given it away already, to say is this. 
He says, if there's a purpose to life, there must be a God. But then he says, if there is no purpose in life, there is no God. And then he says, and because there is no God, we have freedom, he says. If there's no purpose, there's no God. If there's no God, you and I have absolute freedom. And then he spent the rest of his life fighting with his own idea. Because if there is no God, if there is no purpose in life, if your brain and my brain is, and I, and I wrote this down the other day, I thought it was an interesting definition of the brain put out by secularists. The brain is an end product of mindless, unguided processes. The brain is the end product of mindless, guided processes, unguided processes. Do you want to trust a computer that has no point to it? It's just a bunch of random information there with your finances? <laughs> or when that pilot's plugging things in, do you just hope it all kind of works out and you get to where you're going to go? Of course not. But that's the, listen to me, that's the culture and the world that we're living in today. It's this idea that freedom comes when, when there's no governance over my life, when there's no morality over my life, when there's no being who has structured a purpose for my life. But what happens is when you live that way, it leads to utter chaos and confusion, and that is our world today. So why are we in the situation we're in today? It's because we've rejected God. We said there's no purpose to to life other than whatever I decide it's going to be. And, and whatever I decide to be is whatever I, what my brain tells me I want to be. Now, I want, you, I want you to think about an eagle for a moment. I love eagles. They're beautiful creatures, and there's more of them now. Have you noticed that? When you look around. And I love to watch eagles as they spread their wings out and they soar. And they ride the thermals. How many of you have ever wished you were an eagle or a bird besides me? Have, you know, just to be able to get up there and soar and fly and really be what? Free. But I want you to imagine an eagle in Minnesota who's soaring around. And he looks down. And he sees some squirrels running on the ground and other little creatures. And he thinks to himself, you know what? I, I want to be free like those guys. So I'm going to go down there, I'm going to give up flying, and I'm going to learn to run. Have you ever seen an eagle run? It's not pretty. They wobble all over the place. We'd have eagles being killed right and left on the roads trying to get across. They would starve to death. They'd never be able to catch their prey. Why? They were not created to run on the ground. When they try to do that, there's no freedom at all. They lose their freedom. They think they're free, but they lose their freedom. When are they free? When they fly. When are you and I? When are we the most free? When we live according to God's purpose for us. Now he designed us, made us, male and female. But when we push away from that, when we push against that, and decide that our morals will be whatever we decide, that our gender will be what we decide, that our feelings will be what we decide, 
that our sexuality will be what we decide when I decide I'm going to go it my way because I want to be free, the truth is we lose our freedom. And all you have to do, see, it's so, this is the easiest part. All you have to do is look and see what's happening to our society that is unraveling and disintegrating. <laughs> right? It's not, and, and honestly, it's not rocket science. And, and, and you know, we who, who believe in these promises, we who believe these things, listen carefully, we can't become arrogant. And we can't have an attitude that we know better than everybody else and then, you know, treat them that way. The Bible teaches us that, that we who, who come to believe and understand what true freedom is, listen, we have an obligation to lovingly and compassionately demonstrate it and share it with others. <laughs> All right? But listen carefully. Listen carefully, okay? We cannot do that just by what we say we have to, by how we live our lives. And that's the big challenge for us these days. And that's where I'm going back to saying, if we believe already those things, I said, I promise you this will happen in your life and as we go through this series. If you already believe that God has always been and that God loves you and, and has, you know, his stories about how much he loves you and how special you are to him, if we honestly believe that, and live it out, the world will be attracted because they'll see freedom in action. But as long as they look at us and see us in, in a different way, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so that kind of that takes me then to one final thought I want to share with you, and that's simply this, that God created us out of love and continues to pursue us in love. When you and I read the opening chapters of, of Genesis there. I don't know about you, but when I read those opening chapters, I think about God's power. God spoke, and everything came into being. But do you realize that God's power actually emanates from his love? His love is what gives birth to his power. His love is what gives birth to his power. Not that you can necessarily separate them, but, but the Bible says that God is love. And so everything that God has done and is doing and will do emanates from his love for you and for me. And, and I want to take you to a passage of Scripture, and I'm just going to read through it with you and make a few comments. I'm not going to spend much time in it. And it's really setting up next week's message, because next week's message, I want to talk about relationships in Genesis in the first couple of chapters. And why, is there, why are there two accounts of one creation, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? And I want you to see it's because God's emphasizing his power, but he's also emphasizing his love, his, his, his relationship with us. But that's next week. I want you to turn to John 17, if you will, with me. And, and I just want to go through this passage very, very quickly with you, and we'll wrap it up, okay? So John chapter 17, verse 1. This is Jesus' prayer. It's called his high priestly prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. <clears throat> and when you pay attention to that word, he says, the hour has come. Glorify your son. 
that he may glorify you. So Jesus is praying, he's talking to his father, and he says, glorify me, he says, because I'm glorifying you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. See how it harkens back to what we've been saying in Genesis? And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, look what he says. He says, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So what is this word that we keep seeing our Lord use here? Glorify, glory, glorify. What is it? What does it actually mean? Well, it means to praise, it means to honor, and it means to love. Now, I, I want to be very careful what, I, what I'm about to doodle on the board because you cannot separate the Father, the Son, the Spirit. One essence, three distinct personalities, all right? But oftentimes people will describe the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all right? And they'll uh, do it as, as a circle, all right? And they'll even sometimes describe the, the relationship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit as a dance, so to speak. And there's this sense that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternity past to this very moment are constantly praising, honoring, and loving each other. Pouring that out at each other. Think of it that way. All right? Now keep that in mind and let's now go to John chapter 17 and a little bit further up in the passage. All right? It says, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, all right, the disciples then, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me, okay? For God so loved the what? The world, okay? That they may all be what? One, okay? That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Let's just stop and think about that for a moment. That God would invite you and me into the intimacy of the Trinity. He would invite us into the intimacy of that oneness. That's why marriage is one of the most beautiful illustrations of, the, of a sense of the, of the Trinity, of the love of God. The two should become what? One. It's not just physically, but there's that spiritual intimacy, right? He says that they may also be in us. Why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. One of our most powerful witnesses to the world is when we live in, human, in unity and harmony with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and listen, with each other as Christians. Read John 13. Look what he says now. He says, the glory that you have given me, what's the glory? Praise, honor, love, I have given to them. I am sharing that glory with them, that love with them. That they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me before all eternity. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I may know to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I don't know. I don't even know how to give better explanation to those words. Except to ask you, do you believe it? And most of us say, yes, I believe it. But I'm asking you, do you believe it from the mind to the heart? Does it, does it, does it knock you off your feet? Does it overwhelm you in the best way possible? Isn't this a great way to start a new year? To walk out of our campuses or wherever you're sitting right now, to walk out of this place just with the knowledge of how much God loves you. Because in a sense, if I can do it one more time and think about that circle, in a sense what God is saying, Father, Son, and then or Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I guess it's supposed to be an F, is that he wants to include you in there too. And that's what this story is all about. How God goes about making it possible for you to live in that glory of Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads, please? All right? Would you bow your heads, please? Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you this day. God, we, we hear so many sermons, we read so many books, we receive so many lessons, and it becomes knowledge in our minds, oh God. And it fails to become something we actually put our faith in and believe and enjoy and rejoice in. Lord, I don't know what we're leaving behind in 22, and while some of us may have ideas of what's ahead of us in 23, none of us knows completely what the future holds. But we can leave this place today knowing that you have always been and always will be. That you have given us this beautiful, grand story of how much you love us. And you have proven it through your son, Jesus Christ. I ask you, Lord, in these next days to come, that we would take time to sit and soak in the unmerited love of God for us. And with that knowledge, Lord, that we would be set free to enjoy you. In whose name we pray. Amen.